0: So this morning, we are continuing our study in the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 18, the end of 18, and we're going to try to get through all of chapter 19. And uh, we'll see see how we do this morning. If we have to cut it short, we'll cut it short, and you'll just have to come back next week to find out what happens in Ephesus. But last week, real quick, we talked about Corinth, about the city of Corinth, and how just the the immorality was rampant there. And when Paul went to, to Corinth to share the gospel, what did we learn about him? Was he brave and bold, or was he a little bit scared and timid? He was scared. He, he was nervous about sharing the gospel, and, and that's not the picture that we typically get from Paul. When we, when we read about Paul, when we think about Paul, we think about somebody who's brave and bold, but yet, guess what? He was human, just like you and me. And if you get scared sharing the gospel, that's normal, because even Paul was scared at times. But you know what? He did it anyway. And today, we're going to focus on his ministry in Ephesus. And now, this is his third missionary uh, journey, which really wasn't much of a journey, because he traveled basically to Ephesus, right, or Ephesus, he Journey there, and then he journeys home. Most of his time he spends in Ephesus about, probably about three years he spent there. Not just um, evangelizing, but discipling as well. And as we go through today, we're going to talk about some different types of people um, that was uh, just in ministry in, emph- uh, in Ephesus, because are all people the same, or are all people different? We're all different, and you may find yourself in one of these categories, and you may not, and that's okay. So uh, today, we're going to focus on evangelizing Ephesus, evangelizing Ephesus. But before we get into Acts 18, let's just bow our heads in a word of prayer. Lord, we come before you this morning, and we just thank you again, Lord, for all that you've done for us. Lord, as we look at here in the book of Acts, Lord, I just pray that we would learn what you want us to learn, and that we would apply what you want us to apply. Lord, that we would not just be hearers of your word, but that we would be doers as well. Lord, please be with us this morning. Remove any distractions that we might have so we can be completely focused on you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first person that we're going to read about today, his name is Apollos. And we learned that Apollos had insufficient instruction. He was, he was taught, but he didn't have the full knowledge. Has that ever happened to you where you knew uh, about a subject and then you found out later that you were wrong because there's been an addition? Remember that? This was a number of years ago now. But when I was, a, when I was in school, right? I had just had a birthday, so I can say that. Back when I was a kid, Pluto was a planet, right? Right? <laughs> And then you find out that, oh, wait a minute, Pluto's not a planet? Like, when did that happen? And I think now it's a dwarf planet, so it, it's just changing. But even, you know, and I'm learning this as, as our kids are going through school, that there's a new ocean. I'm like, what is that all about? No. And, uh, but things change, and, and, and that's how it was with, with Apollos. He knew, he was instructed, but it was incomplete. It was in Sufficient. So let's read about Apollos. Uh, chapter 18, we're going to start with verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus." So what do you, What do we know about this man? Is that he knew the scriptures. He knew the scriptures. Now back then, did he have the Old and New Testament to study from? No, just the Old Testament. And he knew it. He was very well educated. But he only knew the Old Testament. But he did also know about Jesus. He knew about Jesus, but he didn't know about the, the baptism of Jesus, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So he had incomplete knowledge. What he spoke was true. And so when when Aquila and Priscilla, when they heard him speak, they realized, hey, something's missing. So what did they do? They took him aside and they explained this to him. One thing that's amazing about Apollos, even though he was highly educated, is he was willing to be taught. Anybody here know a lot about, uh, we'll just say farming? Anybody here know a lot about farming? If somebody comes up to you and says, wow, you really know a lot, but did you know there's a better way to farm? How many of you would be like, yeah, please tell me? Or how many of you would be like, you know what? I've been doing this for a long time. You can't teach me. Is there anybody that would be a struggle? I know for me, it's hard to be taught something that I think I'm I'm an expert at. But here we see Apollos, and he's, he's humble, and he's willing to be taught. We, as people, we as Christians, we as believers, should we be willing to be taught? Should we ever come to a place to where, you know what, I already know everything there is to know. You can't teach me anything. That's a dangerous place to be in, isn't it? But we see here Apollos, just a prime example, well taught. He was in Alexandria, a very central source of, of knowledge, And yet, a couple people set him aside and said, hey, you need to learn about this. And he was teachable. Not only that, but then he was also willing to teach others. And isn't that an example for all of us as believers? Not only should we be willing to be taught, but we should also be willing to teach others. Does that intimidate anybody here to teach somebody else about the Bible? In order to teach, right, in order to be um, a great teacher, you should know your subject, right? If you're trying to teach something that you know nothing about, yeah, that's going to be intimidating. So how do we get to know more about the Bible? How, How can we get to a place to where we have an idea of what we're talking about? We need to be a student. We need to study the Bible. We need to spend time in God's Word. Studying it, and we talked about this um, last week, I believe that there's no shortage of, of way for us to study God's word. If you want to study God's word, you have opportunity. We have this little known thing called the internet. Now not, believe it or not, this might be earth shattering, not everything on the internet is true, okay? But there's a lot of good. There's a lot of bad, but there's also a lot of, of good. And there is so much that you can look into to, to know the scriptures so that you can teach others. Because that is what we are called to do, right? Does God say only you should make disciples or only you? No, that's for all of us, right? Go into all the world, right? Make disciples. Each one of us, each one of us that are believers should be discipled, right? We should be teachable like Apollos, but we should also teach others and disciple others just like Apollos, Make disciples. Well, then we read, if we, when we get into chapter 19, we read about Paul, and he meets these peculiar people. These people are good people, but there's something weird. There's something off. There's something that just isn't quite right. Anybody here peculiar? There's just something, just, something about you that just isn't quite right? <laughs> I'm one of them, so I can say that. All right, so follow with me if you would. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue, and for three months spoke boldly, and he meets these disciples. Now, they were probably could have been former disciples of Apollos before he was fully educated. But instead of just making accusations, what does he do? Which is what we should do. Which is what we should do. I'm cutting out here. When we meet somebody and there's something interesting, do we just start pounding at them, tell them that they're wrong? What should we do? We should ask Questions. Because if you don't ask questions, you can't give what? Answers. And sometimes we like to give answers before getting the question. And when we do that, will we answer correctly? You remember as a child, okay, I'm going to ask you a question. Raise your hand when you know the answer. Oh, y'all, we have a teacher back there. She raised her hand. I didn't even ask you the question yet. It's what happens. And then you say, okay, what's the answer? Uh, 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 Yeah, exactly. Right? So Paul's great here. He asks questions before uh, before he gives answers. And what's his question? Do you have the Holy Spirit? Because they're disciples, right? But he knows there's something missing. They don't have the Holy Spirit. So he asks them, Do you have the Holy Spirit? And what is their reply? We didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Like, like, like what are you talking about? And so, uh, and then he asked, well, how were you baptized? And it's interesting here that in this interaction, Paul just assumes that they were baptized. Because as a believer, that's something that's expected of us to do, is to be baptized, and they said, well, we were baptized with, with John's baptism. And, Paul, and then Paul answers and says, well, John's baptism was a baptism of what? Repentance. And we've talked about repentance. Repentance is churning away. It's doing a 180. You're heading in one direction. You repent. You go in the other direction. So that's the baptism of John. And now Jesus's baptism is a baptism of identification. When we baptize here, it doesn't make you any more Christian. We baptize you right in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. And we baptize. We, we believe in immersion here because you go down because Jesus Christ was buried. And he rose again. And so when you're baptized here, it's not saying, oh, I, I, now I'm saved. Finally, my, my sins are washed away. It doesn't do that. It's just you're making a public proclamation of your faith. And saying, I believe that Jesus died and rose again for my sins, and I want to identify with him. But then there's this other baptism that's talked about here, and it's the Holy Spirit's baptism. And I've mentioned this several times, but it's amazing how many times that in Sunday school class we talk about something that we're talking about today in church. And one of the scriptures that we read in Sunday school, we're going to read again. This morning, and it's in Ephesians chapter 1, because Ephesians is a letter that Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus. So let's talk about the Holy Spirit's baptism and why it's so important. Uh, Ephesians 1 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of of his glory, so see when the baptism of the Holy Spirit is when the believer receives the Holy Spirit, and every believer has the Holy Spirit in this day and age. Remember, Acts is a book of transition; we're going from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and there's new knowledge to be gained. Now, today, right, the knowledge that we have it's contained in, in God's Word, in Scripture. If somebody comes out and says, "Hey, I have more information to give you," that's not in Scripture. What should we respond? How should we respond? Uh, No. But if they do, always check it with what is already there. And if it differs, if it doesn't agree with the 66 books that are here, then you can say, well, you know what? Maybe that's not the the case. Maybe that's not true. And we're not going to go through here, but to go through the Bible and the canonicity, which is how did we get the books that we have? Because that's, it's very confusing. And, you know, it's not just a bunch of guys got together and they took votes. It was meticulous. Okay, does this line up with the rest of Scripture, with what we know? If it doesn't, then, then we throw it out. Then it's not. Because does God's word ever change? No. And salvation was always by faith, in God always. And the Old Testament includes Jesus Christ. And you know and it talks about that. The Old Testament talks about Jesus, looking forward to Jesus, and the New Testament talks about, you know, looking back to Jesus. But we have this this Holy Spirit baptism. And then we have something too that we see in Acts, right? These these people, they start speaking in tongues and prophesying. And so really in Acts, you know, we know about Pentecost, the Pentecost of the Jews, which happens in, in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 8, we have the, the um, excuse me, the Pentecost of the Samaritans. Now that Pentecost, when they received the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mention that they spoke in tongues. Um, but then we have in Acts 10, remember Cornelius and the, the, the Pentecost of the Gentiles, and they spoke in tongues. And prophesied. And then we have here the Pentecost of the incomplete believers. People believed, but they didn't believe fully. They didn't know about Jesus' resurrection. And not just, well, maybe they knew about his resurrection, but what did Jesus do, have to do in order for the Holy Spirit to come? He had to leave. He had to ascend. Because he said that. He's like, I have a gift, but I can't give it to you unless I leave. So Jesus left. The Holy Spirit came. And now we as believers, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And he's always there. He's, it's a seal. It's a promise. We talked about that in Sunday school. It's a promise. Will the Holy Spirit leave you? No. No. Once he's inside of you, you're stuck, right, together. And so we see this. And, and this is the last time in the book of Acts that we see people speaking in tongues. And prophesy, it was um, done just to show that, hey, this is something new. This is proof. And we see that through miracles in the Bible. It's to show proof. It's validity of of the messenger. So as we continue on, we're going to talk about some uh, people who have an, an inferior influence. People who think they're big stuff, but they're not. Do you know anybody like that? This passage, this passage is great. Um, the Bible is interesting. If you don't think so, you're not reading it. But let's read about um, the, sons of, the sons of Sceva, starting with verse, uh, verse 11. And God was, a doing, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that, he had, touched, that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, And their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus who Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, get this, pay attention, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Never thought we'd hear about, talk about naked men in church today. And this became known to all the residents, right? People talked about it. Would you talk about that? That would be all over social media these days. Um, it came known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail Mightily, Wow, what did we learn from here? God has power. Was it Paul doing these miracles? No, it was God who was doing these miracles. So much so that even a, a piece of cloth touched Paul and then went on, and it healed people, and it cast out demons. Is God powerful? Absolutely. We also see here that man is powerless. Man is paralyzed. We have the sons of Sceva. Now, it's interesting because the claim here is that they're sons of Sceva, the high priest. There is no recorded, or no record of Sceva being a high priest. So we don't know. But what do they do? What is their occupation? They're exorcists, right? That's what they do. So what do they do? They hear, wow, Paul is, is casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And again, I'm going to revert back to Sunday school. Because the, the song that we started out with was, was what? The name, right? The name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. So they're like, hey, it works. Let's do that. And what do they do? They, they say this, right? Um, I adjure you by the, by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. And how does the demon respond? Jesus I know, Right? Paul? Yeah, we've heard of him. We know about Paul. But who in the world are you? We don't know you. We don't know you. Vacation Bible School, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about what? The two kingdoms. The two kingdoms. And it's real. This spiritual warfare is real. And if you're a believer, you're a part in his army. My question for you is, if you were to do this, and a demon respond, would they know who you are? Would they know your name? Would they say, ah, I've heard of Randy. Greg? I don't know no Greg. Who, who are you? Now, question, being Paul, was being Paul easy? If the demons know who you are, it's because you're trouble for them. It's because you are out there doing what God wants you to do. And we know Paul. We know his life. It was anything but easy. Because does Satan, do his, do his demons enjoy somebody who proclaims truth? No. And if you're causing problems, they're going to find out who you are, and they're going to try to attack you to discourage you, to keep you from doing what God wants you to do. But if you don't follow God, right? If you don't do what he wants, are you going to be a threat to them? No. No. So if you were to have a conversation with a demon, because our demons are real. They are. And if you were to ever approach one, right, whenever approaches you, and you say, right, in the name of Jesus, I can't, like, well, Yeah, we know Jesus, and Jesus can do that. But would they say, okay, because we know you. We know you fight for him. Or would they say, yeah, you know what? I'm looking through our database. Hold on, let me check here. I'm looking up the directory that people were worried about. Yeah, you're not on this list. And then how did the demons respond? They beat them up, right? The one guy beats up these guys, rips off their clothes, and sends them out naked, humiliated. Do we ever try to do things in our own power? How does that work? Usually it does not work out very well. But when we do things in the name, in the power of Jesus, amazing things can happen. So many times, too many times, we try to do things on our own. We kind of leave Jesus out of it. But man, we need him. His power is amazing. Our power is nothing, absolutely nothing. And we see here too that God's power brings revival. It's nothing we do, it's what God does. Because when these people try to imitate Paul and they got kicked out, man, word spread. It, wouldn't that, if, if that happened in Hughesville or Muncie, would we hear about it? Absolutely. Man, you should have seen it. These guys, they came in. They tried to, to, uh, try to kick out this demon. And man, did they get messed up. That would get talked about. And people would realize that, wow, maybe there's something about this Jesus that Paul is talking about. But the revival there is crazy. What happens to these former right um, sorcerers you know people who practice spells which Ephesus was known for what did they do after they were saved they they had a public book burning and they burned so many books so what was the cost here it says 50,000 pieces of silver now it's hard to de- it's hard to decipher exactly how much that is worth today But one commentator that I read said it would take 150 men to work for one year, like whatever your wages are for that year, 150 men to pay for the amount of books that were burned at that time. Can you imagine that? Is that a lot of money? And to think, man, they could have sold it, right? They they could have done something else with it to make money. No, it's evil. They purged it. And I'm thinking too, right, in, in my life, how many items do I have in my house I hold on to me, that, that, that I hold on to, that doesn't bring glory and honor to Jesus? That, that's maybe some of my, maybe my former life or a life that I shouldn't partake in, that I hold on to. When we look through the lives of the Israelites, they kept getting into trouble because they wouldn't clean house. They kept... Stuff, right? They were pack rats. Who? Anybody here a pack rat? Yeah, it's bad. And I've I've gotten better. I think I've gotten better because I've thrown two things away. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's it's hard because oh, I might need this or I might that, you know. But these people, they just got rid of it, and they burned it, and the cost was substantial. But they did it. And this last part here, we're gonna read about some. Furious folks, people that just got mad. When you're doing what God wants you to do, will people get upset? Probably, probably. So let's read. Let's read about uh, Demetrius and and his anger, starting with verse um, with verse 21. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia. And Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines to Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and, they, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together with, uh, into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and um, Aristarchus, And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? "'Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, "'you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. "'For you have brought these men here "'who are neither sacrilegious "'nor blasphemers of our goddess. "'If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him "'have a complaint against anyone, "'the courts are open, and there are proconsuls. "'Let them bring charges against one another. "'But if you seek anything further, "'it shall be settled in the regular assembly.'" For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Wow, furious folks. Why was, why was Demetrius upset? Because he loves what? Money. Right? Loves money. Who here loves money? Who here doesn't love when they don't have money? Who here loves being broke? Okay, so we love having money. We may not worship money, but we like having money. We do. And here Demetrius is like, oh man, we're losing money. This Paul guy, he's got to go. This is where we get our wealth, right? Loves money, right? They also love their God. Have you heard of the goddess Artemis? Have you heard of the goddess Diana? Yes, same goddess, right? Different name, same goddess. They love their, their, and also they love their city. And they just come out and say, man, what is he doing to us? And they're rioting, and they they fill up this theater, which, by the way, this theater was huge, held about 25,000 people. That's, that's a lot. That's a lot of your college, um, um, was it not, not campuses, but fields, you know, like soccer fields. They'll hold about 25,000. Some are more than that. But for like NCAA, yeah, you got 25,000. So it's, it's, it's a big deal. And it's full of people. And they don't even know what they're saying because it's such mass confusion. They're, they're not all in one accord. And they're just talking until they say, what, great, let me get the wording right here, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. That's what they can rally behind because that's their identity. It's like when you go to a, a Penn State game, right? You get all people talking about different things, but then what can you do? We are, and then everybody just says, what? In unison. In unison, they, they say that, right? Whatever is going on, it doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter what conversation they're having. Immediately, everybody everybody responds, And here they are, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And they chant that for how long? Two hours. Man, what a a mighty thing. And then the city clerk comes and says, okay. And he reasons with them. And what are his reasons? He's like, guys, right? We need to quiet down because we love our city. And Ephesus held a special role as a special station in the Roman Empire. They had a lot of freedoms. And the church clerk is like, hey, you know what? If, if we get caught rioting today, we're going to lose our position. We're going to lose our status. Ephesus won't be as great. Whoa, right? They love their city, so they calm down. What else is, and it's interesting, what well, we can pick up from here, when the church clerk, what does he say about Paul? He, what's that? Yeah, exactly. He doesn't, bl- he doesn't spoke against our God. He's just speaking about his God. And if you have an issue with him, that's fine. But go to the courts, right? We have judges, we have, we have proconsuls, we have a system in place. But it's interesting, that, that, that part there, Paul doesn't speak out. He hasn't blasphemed our God. Christians today from the world's point of view, we're known, right? We're not known for what we believe. We're known for who we attack. When you, and it's, it's tough, it's hard to get away, and I usually don't talk about politics in church, but what do politicians spend most of their time doing? Do they spend their time saying about what they believe, or do they spend their time knocking the other guy? That's, yeah, you know that this person hates this person. You know it. Until later on, they want them to be their VP, and all of a sudden, man, this person's great. That happens all the time. We as Christians should not be like that. We don't need to spend time speaking out against people. We should spend our time doing what? Speaking about Christ and what he's done. Yeah, it'll make people upset, but when they come out at us to attack us, what are they going to say? Nothing, because we didn't do anything against them. We didn't attack them. We're just speaking what we believe. We're just sharing the truth with them. And just what a great example. If Paul had spent this time in Ephesus, you know, these two years, at least two plus years at this point, talking bad about Artemis, what would have happened? People would not have listened. Because do you make friends by saying, hey, yeah, what you're doing is dumb? You're, you're stupid for doing that. Is that a, when somebody comes up to you and says, man, what you believe, it's crazy, it's stupid. Does that like, man, I really need to change my ways. Does that encourage you? Or does that just make you hold fast to what, yeah. And here we have just a perfect example of, of how to witness, how to, to share Christ is we don't talk bad about what they are what doing, what they believe in. We speak the truth. We speak the truth. And then they'll be like, oh, okay. And so there's so much in here that, that we can learn in, in Paul's ministry in Ephesus. But ask questions. You know, don't just go out and believe, right? What do you believe? You have to believe in, in all of Scripture. You can't just pick and choose, oh, I believe this or I believe that. You believe in all of Scripture, and when Scripture says we should repent from our sins, guess what? We should repent. And just because Paul's baptism was, was a baptism of repentance and Jesus's wasn't, should we still repent? Yeah. And you'll know if you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Because when you do wrong, when you sin, that bothers the Holy Spirit. And it should bother you. And we should strive, Right? to do what's right, to make the right decisions. So yeah, there are uh, some people out there with insufficient instruction. You may be one of them. You probably are, right? Because no, I am. I've had people come up to me and say, you know what, what you said is right, but it's not all of it. You know what, was it hard for me to hear? Selfish, it was a little hard, right? But you know what? They were right. They were right. And it's changed. It's changed because I want to give a complete instruction, not just partial instruction. But we need to be teachable. When we we meet somebody who doesn't quite believe what we believe, we don't just attack them. We ask them questions. Because do all Baptists believe the same thing? No. No. No, and sometimes that word Baptist can have a bad stigma to it, doesn't it? Oh, you're a Baptist. Oh, I know about you. Whoa, no, 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 don't make assumptions about me, right? Nobody here likes people to make assumptions about about who you are. So don't do that, right? And realize that God has power. You don't. If you try to do anything outside of his power, you're gonna fail. And you're going to deal with angry people. But the best thing you can do is continue to do right. Do right, and then they won't have anything to attack you with. Just words. So remember that this week. When you do stuff, don't do things in your own strength. Do it in God's strength. Rely on him. Rely on his power. Rely on his strength. Let's pray.